listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince LaCocco. Ladies and gentlemen, From the Pink Seats Podcast, you are now tuned in. Let's go. Jacob Lane, Vince LaCocco, Matt McGavick, we are back. Following another victory, it might have been by the skin of the teeth, but it is a victory. A win is a win. Louisville comes in now with an impressive home winning streak, getting up to nine and one overall, six and one in conference, and lining themselves up to head to Charlotte here in a few weeks. But the the battle continues. One week season that rolls right into Miami this weekend. We got Florida P down there, Presley Meyer reporting live from Miami. He sent me a picture of the shirt he's wearing, fellas, and I'm telling you. Vince, I know we joked last year about some of your attire with like the boots when it would be hot as hell outside and the full jeans, like looking like you're going to a rodeo. That was just a complete misjudgment of weather on the day. Yeah, no, that's just on me. But but you remember we we did have some fun at your expense with that last year. And when I tell you all what Presley is wearing is embarrassing, man. It really is. Pulling out the full Stanley Hudson. uh, And if you're an office fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Florida P. Uh, He's going to rock it at the game as well. So hopefully he'll get on TV and we'll see that. But uh, yeah, big week for Louisville football. We got a lot to get into tonight on the show from the Pink Seats podcast on the State of Louisville podcast network. We are powered by Kern's Corner as a network, and the show is presented by our good friends at Frankfurt Avenue Liquor and Wine. You can find them at 211 Frankfurt Avenue right next to Manhattan Project. They are a full bar and packaged goods store, a.k.a. a liquor store. So go in there and get you a beer, get yourself something to take home to the family, all kinds of great selections from whiskeys to, to vodkas to, of course, beer and more. You can find them then. Find them there again at Frankfurt Avenue Liquor. Tell them that from the Pink Seats podcast is where you heard them and of course stay tuned we got some cool stuff coming up hopefully and as soon as in the next couple of weeks uh but all that to get out of the way oh of course subscribe to the show of course i, I feel like i actually wrote that down <laughs> Just the, the most show. important yeah, part most yeah. important part yes most important part uh and also fellas how are you what are you doing you both look chipper this evening how are we doing well we had a couple extra days of rest from football so i'm itching to get back to it i'm just I'm I'm actually glad it's a nooner. I'll say it. I know fans hate nooners. Nooners. We're I love doing. Them. We're love doing. Good, we're doing for a good round nooner. I love it, man. Just don't make the UK game a nooner. I'm I'm. We need to talk about whoever's dictating this six game out policy. My wife does not operate on a six day policy. She needs to know what time the game is this weekend, <laughs> uh, so that we can schedule accordingly. My uh, her nephew's first birthday party is the same day, so I need to know that oh, that schedule. Come. Well, look here. I'm not. I said, look, I love I love Leo. He's great. But you won't catch me at that birthday party. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about you. Well, I had a great weekend. Trinity beat St. X. Nothing new there. Zane Johnson's a dog. We if he's not a if he's not a Louisville quarterback by his time uh, done playing high school football, I'm, I'm going to be very disappointed. He's, Wait till you all watch this kid. He's, he's a baby face assassin, man. He looks dog, he threw a back shoulder pass on Friday night where I was like, oh, my God, like that hasn't been thrown in a while here. So. Yeah, he's a freshman, right? Yeah, he's only a freshman. True freshman. This kid was in eighth grade last year, man. Yeah, talk he, about. I don't think he has. Mom any and dad are still pro- are <laughs> dropping him off at practice every day. He's not even driving himself to to the games yet, and here he is finding himself on the the local radar. And like you said, Vince, probably if he puts up numbers like this, the national radar before too long. If he doesn't I, end up in a Louisville uniform, I will be very disappointed. I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, speaking of in a Louisville uniform, guys, I got to tell you, Monday nights has become my favorite night to do this show because I come in just juiced up, absolutely ready to rock and roll. Like there is no room for error for me on Monday nights because Monday nights 
is spaghetti night in the Lane household. And fellas, I want to ask you, have you ever eaten spaghetti with a two-year-old boy? Probably not. It'd be weird. No. For, I mean, I maybe eat spaghetti like a, like a two-year-old boy. You know what I was going to say? The way that my <laughs> my two-year-old son eats spaghetti, I would imagine is what that you look like eating a fried bologna sandwich on a Saturday morning before game day. <laughs> like it's just, it's everywhere by the time he's, he's wearing spaghetti tonight. And, and why I'm ready to go is because it's a battle trying to get a two-year-old clean after eating spaghetti. Like, the amount of crevices that exist in a two-year-old is dangerous. And the amount of spaghetti that you can find weeks later, days later, if you're not careful, you got to be ready to go. You got to be saving it for later, man. He's bulking. You got to be, you got to have the look in your eyes. You have to be ready to go because if he sees that you're not prepared, like Vince just said, he's hiding spaghetti in his diaper. He's hiding it. He's taking full advantage of that too. Yeah, man, he's, he's already he's yeah. bulking up, man. And we were joking about him that when we got home tonight. He's sitting on the couch watching the little tablet. And this is probably my ultimate greatest downfall as a parent is too much tablet time. But he's sitting over there with his feet up, eating some chips out of a bowl on a tablet. And I'm like, that's a dude, man. And like, that <laughs> is a dude. Everything about this kid is just dude material. So you're, Monday you're nights, what better way to, to keep that on like that going than come here and talk about the best dudes of the week? Like, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, how did you? You should have seen this coming. It's a two-year-old and spaghetti. I mean, what you think they're going like, to eat it like at, a, at least? You think they're going to eat it like they're at Vincenzo's or something? Matt, Matt, of course I saw this coming, bro. Like I see it coming every <laughs> pretty week. Sick. Like every single week, I know what this battle is, and I am a I am a gold medalist in cleaning up after spaghetti with a two-year-old. I'm telling you, man, it's a skill that one day I hope that you both have. Vince, I know you gotta you gotta have somebody that's in my shoes for you. Like in, I, I gotta work on time. personal eating issues first before <laughs> yeah. I worry about anybody else. <laughs> oh man, but that that keeps the conversation flowing right here. All right. Each week now it seems like it's becoming a trend and we're having a debate of is this football or not. Last week it was it was thongs. This week is a little bit less inappropriate of a topic, but it is a very interesting topic. I don't know if you guys saw this going, getting into some of the funniest things of the weekend from college football and, the, and college football is the gift that keeps on giving every weekend. I think in every week now I've brought a topic to this show that you guys have to question, is this real or not? And I think this is probably, if you didn't click into this and look into this, you might ask, what the hell was he talking about on this show sheet? And that's the question is, is polar express football or not? Last week, our thongs football, we discovered, yes, absolutely. They help you become a better player. Polar Express, not so sure. Not so sure. Matt, First Matt, of all, what are Matt, the thoughts go ahead. on the movie? Give your yeah. response. So, well, well I just want to know. So were, was this being played at, at halftime, pregame? During, like, Great question. Being... Let me give you the story, all right? So people are probably yeah, t- Tell the story because I, I remember seeing this over the weekend, but I only briefly saw it, and I didn't bother digging further into the context because just my first reaction was, what? Yes, so Arkansas football last year, really good. Bounce back. Sam Pittman was kind of the the big story, one of the big stories of the SEC. This year, not so much. They've been pretty bad. I don't know the, what their record is. I don't have it in front of me. But this weekend, I know that they got destroyed by Auburn. I think it was 48-10 to 10 was the final. So at halftime, somehow video gets out of Polar Express being played on the team's TV in the locker room. With like five dudes, full on, probably like hands in the pants, just in front of the screen, full dude, just staring at it, jaw open, like watching Polar Express. So that video clearly gets out after they go 48 to 10. They get their ass kicked and Sam Pittman has to answer for it. 
And he ultimately explains that there's a secondary locker room where the guys like Vince LaCoco go because there's not enough room in the first locker room. <laughs> and that somebody Same. put on Polar Express because they were probably bored. And somebody took a video, which they weren't. You're not supposed to have your phones out in the locker room. And ultimately, here we are now. And Arkansas is just getting shamed on the Internet because they watch Polar Express at halftime. I, th- I mean, dude, if it was Elf, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But Polar Express sucks. Like, straight up. Let's just let's I'm going to just throw that out there. The movie is terrible. I hate it when my wife puts it on. It's one of my least favorite Christmas animated movies. Kind of makes me uncomfortable. It's very yeah, weird. It's, it's, so it's, it's weird. definitely not my favorite. No, but the whole- this is this is where my I was thinking because the equipment staff they at Louisville at least they have a TV in there and they usually have Netflix going like twenty four seven of like a random movie and that was my initial thought of it but upon further review like that's clearly a small locker room with the TV in it you know what I mean it's not like a equipment staff area. Like if I videotapes Louisville's equipment room, you'd clearly be able to tell that it's an equipment room. Yeah. You can clearly yeah. see in this video that it's a locker room. So it's yeah. I like mean this, not is, this is this is the SEC. They don't have a locker room big enough to hold all of the players. Imagine being the guys that missed the cut. Like you, you, you <laughs> like there you. is one dude that is sleeping in the corner of the room right there in that video. That is hysterical. <laughs> I didn't catch like, that. Like he's out. His head's up against the corner, in the corner, head in the corner. Oh, <laughs> like man. He's done. The, the, like, second, the, like, this is already a great, a great clip. Like, uh, like without context, this is Michael Scott in the office watching Varsity Blues when Jan Levinson walks in and asks what they're doing. And he says, want popcorn? That's what this is right here in college football. But the quote after the game, or uh, sorry, on Monday's media availability, media availability, he says, yeah, I hadn't seen Polar Express. Uh, but so I don't really know my thoughts on the movie, but in our locker room, I want to reward our kids by letting them run through the, letting them run through the A. I don't know what that means. If they practice well, oh, maybe that's like a pregame tradition at Arkansas. So we don't have enough lockers in our main locker room to house all the kids. So some of them had to go to a separate locker room and a separate door to the locker. He ultimately goes on to explain that whoever this was that was responsible for taking this video, because that's the like try snitching part of this, but also whoever put the movie on. They've been dealt with. So football, no. Polar Express, it doesn't seem like I just, football. I just watched the clip, and yeah, that dude is definitely asleep in the corner. I know. <laughs> At least, like, put Remember the Titans or, like, Friday Night Lights or... Yeah, something, something inspirational, man. Or Longest like, Yard or something you know, like or that. like a football-related movie yes. of some sort. Yes, the replacements, like, motivate them that way, thinking, like, if you all don't get it together, this is you. You know, you could put the the rock. (laughs) And and that one dude is just standing in front of the TV like he's in a trance or something. Like, (laughs) that's the dude I'm talking about. Like, that he is full hands in the pants. Like, he is rocking back and forth watching it because he is so mesmerized that that's on the TV. Clearly, that's what's happening with the the video here. Um, How about the Houston Texans and our guys, Sheldon Rankins and Jonathan Grenard? quietly uh, becoming one of the most dominant duos in the NFL um, on a defense on the defensive line. And, and after this weekend, man, the Texans, they're talking about the Texans being like potentially a Super Bowl contender. I think that's a little premature, but Good. hell of a hell of a game this weekend, man. Let me just read the stats real quick. Sheldon Rankins. Five solo tackles. And this is for a defensive lineman. OK, that's pretty rare. So five solo tackles, three sacks. Two tackles for loss in addition to those four QB hits and a forced fumble. I mean, come on, man. That is just domination. Jonathan Grenard, he had three tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, and a QB hit. I mean, that's 
and then went to bat that he's a Louisville guy on Twitter. How about that, man? That's our that point right there. Yep. That was cool. I, I, tell, I tell you what, the, the Texans, um, between what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball with those two, and then Will Anderson's really good. They're getting Derek Stingley back. And then you've got C.J. Shroud just absolutely balling. And then guys like Tank Dell looking good. And that their offensive line and their running backs have been kind of banged up. But, I mean, like this Houston Texans team there, with how the Jags have performed the last month or so, I, I would say the Texans are probably the favorite for the AFC South. Oh, that probably I, I know that hurts to say you a little bit. You get you get a year in waiting, right? You get to load that draft pick and then come back next year with Anthony Richardson a little healthier. Yeah, like, yeah our number yeah. one pick is hurt. We can't we can't do anything. Oh, he needs man. to figure out how to, you know, play a, like I don't know, like his style of football. I hope it works, and I hope it lasts long. Cam just running. I I will say he he did look a a, a lot better than I thought he would. But I yes, mean, he, he did. Yeah, I agree. I'll give you some credit because I I was not high on a on AR. I wasn't, and then I watched him play in the NFL, and I'm like, okay, he's he's doing pretty good. And yeah. of course, he gets hurt. Yeah, and shout out to C.J. Stroud, man. He and uh, Tank Dell have been two incredible gems for fantasy football. I have both of them. And Tank Dell has been an absolute weapon the last couple of weeks. Uh, I would have liked to have gotten my hands on Noah Brown. That would have been a nice waiver pickup. Didn't get there quick enough. Didn't get Keaton Mitchell also, which really frustrated me. Yeah, yeah, help me out um, this weekend. I, there I you go. The, I had to pick up the Bucks defense. There you go, man. Rocking with the boy, yeah, man. I know. It's pretty cool. I love it. I love seeing this, man. The defensive lineman from Louisville. I know Yasir is kind of like in his red shirt year in the NFL. We're not really getting to see him much on the active roster. But like between Yaya and obviously these the, the vets and Jonathan and Sheldon Rankins, Jair Alexander. I mean, these guys are just producing. Um, but we would be remiss to not talk about the Ravens. And what stuck in my head all weekend was what you said last week, Vince. Like I could just like hear the clip in my in my ear playing of like. he's got to cut back on the turnovers like he's got to find a way to stop turning the football every week and that's now the convert like they obviously the media is no nobody to kind of trust when it comes to the barometer of play when it comes to Lamar Jackson right you have guys just with they're they're going back and forth each week they don't know what to do with him but now he's giving everyone the ability to criticize him because he turns the football over he's got to be close to the top of the NFL in interceptions this year he's got to be I mean just based off of one a week He's not, he's, he's not throwing a pick, he's fumbling it. And, right, I mean, right. I mean, and we talked about yeah, that. Yeah. And it, I don't feel like this was like a really a huge issue for the other year, his other years in the NFL. It only seems like it's only really become, become a huge issue this year. I mean, yeah, he had a propens- propensity to occasionally like throw a pick or fumble, yeah. but so does every quarterback in the NFL. But it seems like this year it's really become a huge detractor in his game. It was mostly fumbles, I feel like, with him for the I mean, you know, he would all you know, he would kind of throw up like the game where he'd have two picks or throw a clunker or whatever. But this season, I don't know if it's this offense and being willing to to be able to kind of stretch it out. I don't know if it's that their weapons aren't good enough. I think that we say this each year and you know, we obviously got excited as as Louisville fans for Lamar to have Odell Beckham and to have Zay Flowers because we have have either been victimized by one of the two of them at some point in our lives, or we have been a fan and we know which one we're kind of talking about there. And then Rashad Bateman and some of these other weapons, you're like, okay, maybe he does have it. But I'm once again here to tell you that Lamar Jackson's receivers are not that great. Odell, you know, did have this, the nice touchdown this weekend, but he's been kind of poop all year. Zay flowers has had, you know, four or five receptions a game, but outside of that, they don't really have anybody to lean on. And I feel like Lamar is finding himself trying to play hero ball, trying to make one of his receivers greater 
than what they probably are, and it's costing them. Now, look, they're what seven and three. I mean, they're they're sitting. I mean, the three. defense is filthy. Oh yeah, the Browns are seven and three. I mean, that division is silly. The the Steelers, I think, are also seven and three. Or I think they're six and three right now. Six and three. So okay, I think they yeah. had a buy. Yeah, so I mean, you're talking about as of last week, all four teams were playoff teams. I, the Bengals lost, so I don't know how that sits this week. But the Ravens, I, I stand by; they are a Super Bowl contender if Lamar can stop turning the football over. The defense this week, they were hit or miss. Um, if they can get healthy, man, I really do feel like they're in a good spot. Um, so are the Dolphins. Yeah, so are the Dolphins, man. That's right. I guess I don't know. We're in a they, great spot. All I know is that the NFL, two things. One, I need a 930 game every Sunday, like from now on forever. I don't care yes. if they play really? London or not. I don't care if they play London or not. I love the early time slot. Vince, yeah, I, I mean, wake I... up at 630 on the weekends, my dude. I got nothing to do that I early hate morning. playing football across the globe. L- listen, for us oh. degenerates that get up super early, like it doesn't even have to be like across the globe. Just have like designate like – some game here to be an early kick. I mean, some I'm, I'm cool with that. I watch nine thirty game over here. Yeah, just having the nine thirty like game bleed almost exactly into the one o'clock game, then one to four thirty, four thirty to eight. And Give me a ten thirty, whatever it is. But I need an I need a morning game. <laughs> NFL <laughs> after dark. <laughs> For the love of God, Tyreek Hill should not be like walking around in a BS disguise, walking up to fans out there and going, "Oh, do you recognize this guy?" Which are doing the little picture thing, and they can't name like half the people. And the pictures, and they get to Tyreek. And yeah. I hate to break it to you, man, but if you took that same game outside of Cardinal Stadium with Cardinal players, I'm not so sure our fans would make you proud. Like, I, I mean, that's just a factor of football, dude. Like, they, they could name the number, but they would know. I bet you eight out of 10 Louisville fans could, would know who Mike Jacecki is. Well, I'm just talking about Louisville players, but no, I oh, definitely Louisville, don't think. Hundred out of, of a, I bet you a hundred Louisville players. Would you know, would be 100%. shocked. You'd be shocked. But uh, I, I'm here for football on Sundays, just not the Colts and the Patriots. I can't do any more of these ten Sorry, six Matt. games. Like it's just brutal to watch Mac Jones take sacks every other play. I mean, just not our uh, fault. Oh, the Patriots suck. Yeah, it was terrible. It's just terrible. That rivalry has come such a, a long way from where it was when we were talking about the flake gate, man. Like, he's like this. Have you ever seen his face when he's getting his ass ripped? Oh, it's, it's like the saddest thing in the world. Like, I, I don't know why Mac oh, Jones. Oh, Mac Jones. He just looks like a little puppy dog. I don't know if it's sad or if, like, I kind of enjoy it because he kind of reminds me of, like, Threat bro who never had oh, any it. ass rippings ever in his life, and he's finally getting his ass chewed for the first time. <laughs> I've I've preached from the get go that Mac Jones is going to be a bust. I mean, any one of us three can throw touchdown passes to Henry Ruggs, to Jalen Waddle, to Devontae Smith. He had, and there was like another guy in there too that was in that stacked wide receiver room. Like he had literal a team full of literal all pros on that team. Like yeah, and those that went pro and Najee Harris and Damian Harris and. Yep. I mean, Keep them going. Keep the list going. That's right. It's just a skill, fa- skill How position. How many Alabama factory. players yeah. can we name today? There we go. Yeah, I like it. Um, anything else? I know we've got on here. We're going to probably talk about the refs much more in detail um, with the ACC. But I mean, I'm. I, I think stand up and watch that game. We just. I, I mean, you? I. I watched a good chunk of it. I did not go to the to the final, but I did see. Uh, well. Okay, let me back up. I watched the Miami-Florida State game pretty much live, almost the majority of the game. And then Duke, North Carolina, kept an, kept an eye on it. But my wife and I actually watched Saturday Night Live this weekend with Tim, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, probably the, the worst one of the season so far. 
Uh, but there was a couple of good skits. So I missed that game, but was kept updated by Matt. I feel like Matt gets this Batman signal in his basement where he realizes like, oh my God, something is, this is Louisville related. I have to live tweet. And all of a sudden Matt just gets to his phone and is just tweeting out the updates. And I'm like, thank God for Matt. What would I do laying so, in bed? Uh, I, had, I got a lot of engagement for him. I bet you did. He, that's what I'm saying. It's I, it's the opportunity for engagement. Matt so, has this. So, um. I have a confession to make. I watched, I was looking at my phone because I didn't start watching it. I ended watching it because, but I saw that Carolina went up like 13 to nothing or something like that in like the first quarter. And I'm like, screw this. I'm not watching it. So I'm just playing on my Xbox. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to break out the rum. I deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, your boy was properly sauced by the time like I actually started watching that game. So then I pull out my phone and I see that it's like a one possession game heading to the fourth. I'm like, oh fuck, I actually gotta watch ah, so that's Matt, just that's just drunk tweeting. Matt I was absolutely <laughs> drunk tweeting. I was trying my best to like make sure like I had no typos and not any tr- huge grammatical errors. But well, I'm just, just the boldest home. of takes. Yeah. Just, just dropping like a take bomb right in the middle of a standard news article. No, I, I'm here for it, man. I Miami would be undefeated it. with Jack Plummer at quarterback. Yeah. I think I saw you tweet that. <laughs> Matt's just out here writing emails for Louisville. Congratulations, Louisville's going to the ACC championship and accidentally uh, hit sin. That's what it was. That I, I'm here for it. Hey, as a, I, I'm sure plenty of marketers could tell you horror stories of emails going out early. Not everybody's line of work is result-based by meaning like games have to happen before a certain something can happen. Like a sale is going to be a sale regardless of whenever it is. Uh, and sometimes you send it out too early and you're like, oh, shit, okay, not a big deal. But this one, you you unless you got the script released out here, you're talking about sending Louisville to the championship. And if for some reason, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. We're, we're blaming whoever that is. We need to have No comment. I didn't even see the tweet. I don't. Right. Even, I don't even acknowledge it. Well, <laughs> let's jump in. Let's talk about Virginia. Um, ultimately, not what we expected from Louisville in terms of the um, play in between the four quarters. But at the end of the day, when the clock hit zero, Louisville walked away victorious, thirty-one to twenty-four. They moved to nine and one, six and one in the ACC. They find themselves in a really good spot to make it to Charlotte. Some weird things have to happen. It's not out of the the equation, but. They would need some help uh, or some, I guess not some help, but they would need other people to do things that would negatively impact them. And and first Louisville would have to lose, right? Control your destiny, win, bam, boom, you're in Charlotte. Let's go. It's it's crazy how we were talking about this in 2020. Then things kind of happened and fell apart. And in 2021, it felt like Louisville was in a good spot. And then last year, not so much, but you still thought like maybe they could, they could be sneaky. And then this year, you know, obviously not predicted to be at the top, but you always felt like with the schedule, with Jeff Brom, with the transfers, with this team kind of coming together, that this could be the year. And here we are, but we find ourselves in the same exact spot, almost just a few spots behind numerically where Louisville was in 2016. Two games can make all the difference here from being 11 and one to being nine and three. Vince knows that probably better than anybody in Louisville. It makes me sick just thinking about it, like because your season can just completely <laughs> flip on its head, yeah. and the narrative of like having one of the best seasons in school history can turn into, oh, that was a good year. I mean, the thing is, is if Louisville beats, I mean, revisionist history, you know, it, it is what it is. But if Louisville beats Houston, and then ultimately say they go on to beat Kentucky, you're talking about Louisville likely appearing potentially in their first college football playoff, right? So, I mean, it is a major 
um, kind of turn of events in term uh, in terms of that. And the same thing could happen here. I mean, Miami is uh, Louisville will go to Miami this weekend, but let me just real quick. Let me just kind of put the bow on the Virginia game. 31, 24. This is a game where um, everything you, you thought wouldn't happen happened right outside of Louisville kind of being disruptive up front defensively. Um, and ultimately Louisville ran for 180 yards, but I never felt like they put that. No, they, I had it on the show sheet, like, why couldn't Louisville run the ball? And then I'm looking at the sh- the, the stats. I'm like, okay, well, they got 180 yards. That didn't feel like I a was, topic. I was surprised looking at Jawar on the final play of the game. <laughs> yeah, good. right. It, I, I thought I thought Jaws had less than the 90 yards that he had in the game. I mean, I was. I didn't even, I didn't even realize he had 17 carries. Like that was news to me. Looking at the box score on the way yeah. out, uh, it just never felt like they ran the ball that much. Um, and then on the other side, Anthony Anthony Calandria, like. Someone is going to go in there this offseason and offer a bag at, at, uh, for a transfer uh, out of Virginia. Straight up. Like, let's be honest in what college football is. This kid might be the quarterback at Alabama next year. Like, that's just – sometimes that's the way it goes. Like, well, they failed to get Tyler Van Dyke, so they're going to go for someone else in the ACC. <laughs> right, or Drake May or whoever it is, right? You, you know, exactly, right. So, but this kid, 314 yards. I mean, it was just a gutsy effort. I joked about him earlier this season when Louisville played at NC State that he had some, like – Johnny football esque to him and you see it like the dude just goes out there and a lot of the times plays break. There was a number of times where he gets out of that first sack, he's able to avoid it. And then boom, bam, he's up the middle and it's 15, 20 yards or he's hitting somebody on the sideline. The other weird statistic before we get into Vince's game notes, Malik Washington, you got to, you, I I told y'all about him that last No, He's bad, man. He's bad. Bad, but I would have never guessed he had 155 yards. I thought he only had like one or two catches being live um, in the building. But I, I always, I mean, from what I watched when I was able to watch, it looked like Quincy Riley really did a great job of covering him. The numbers, though, I mean, that's greatness right here. I mean, that's a great ACC wide receiver putting up numbers like that. So, all of that to say, Vince, let's talk about it. Vince's game notes. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's Game Notes with Vincent LaCoco. What do we got? Well, I think we should start with play calling from Jeff because, I mean, quite frankly, it was one of his more mid to below mid uh, play calling games. It wasn't uh, bad, but it was not great. Exactly. It wasn't Duke it was, or it wasn't Pitt bad. Uh, the options for me, Matt. That's the thing that that really bothered me with him is like these were like some certain play call and I love Evan and I know like a couple weeks ago I was like oh Evan Conley on the run blah 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 but like realistically like we should not be running these type of quarterback run direct run plays and I'm not a fan of a wildcat offense either I've never been a fan of putting your running back in at quarterback not saying we do that but you know I'm just not a fan of that style of play whenever we have two you know, phenomenal running backs who both went for 90-plus yards, Jaws on his 17 carries, Isaac on his six carries, and uh, Isaac had the one, the dagger in the end that basically sealed everything for us. Uh, and he had, hands down, the weakest excessive celebration penalty I've ever seen. The 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 spike in comparison to Isaac Martin's spike was not even close. Flag on that? I didn't realize yes, that. He did. Yes, he did. He yes. did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I so I mean, that's what it was for. Yeah, wow. that's what it was because wow. I thought he, I thought he jumped into the stands, did a little like Lambo leap right there into the into the stands because I was jumping up and down, going crazy at the time. 
But watching it back today, it was just a slight little, like, it was the typical, you know how in basketball, if you spike the ball and it goes over your head, they're going to tee up no matter what. It, mm. it reminded me of that. Like, the ball bounced and they saw it go up and they're like, oh, flag, automatically. No, it's like the equivalent of, like, two pumps but don't get to a third pump. Right? Yes, two, exactly. Yeah, the two Can't flags, get to the third pump. No, yeah, no third pumps here. But, I mean, the the run game for me was awesome and it was good to see Jeff, you know, not go away. From our run game, even though, you know, Jaws did have 17 carries, but you all we hear about is him being banged up, banged up, banged up. Um, Can I let me let me ask you about the run game, though. So it felt like against a team that came in, I think they averaged point eight, nine sacks per game, a couple of tackles for loss. They were one. I mean, if you go back to the show last week, they're one of the least disruptive teams in the country. How was it that Louisville was not able to really establish dominance in the point of attack early on? It felt like one yard here, one yard there, two yards. Is it that just Virginia was really disciplined and playing strong, sound football, or was Louisville just not there from an execution standpoint like they have been? So looking at it from the bird's eye view that I had, they were stacking the hell out of the box the entire night. They were daring Louisville to throw it. And the thing, like, the way that they were stacking – you could have had some success stretching out to the edges because they were so packed in, but a lot of the runs, especially in the first half and into the third quarter, were just straight ahead. Like they were just ignoring all of the guys who were crowded around yeah. the line of scrimmage. So I wanted outside zone. Off. Yeah, like there were a couple early plays that were some outside stretches or outside zones or something like that, and they kept the offense on schedule. And, but then they would go right back to running up the middle and you'd get like a couple yards or get blown up the line of scrimmage or even behind. So that was what confused me the most, where like even untrained football people can see, oh, they're crowding the hell out of the box. Don't run it straight up the middle. And they did it a lot. Exactly. And I, I see like sometimes, you know, that can work with counter, you know, where you can get a guy to run up field and you can pin yeah, him. Because Isaac's run was a counter. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, those plays were great, but you can't do it all the time. And there's these the situations where Jeff wants to get out on the edge with the option plays, why, why you wouldn't run something like a same-side pitch where, you know, Jaws just takes a drop step and gets, you know, three or four yards out. But we turn and just pitch it to him. We get the edge and everything if we really want to get outside that bad. Uh, speaking of Jack, you know, we have to discuss the, that interception. <laughs> that was uh, – Arguably one of the worst interceptions we have seen of recent years. I, I don't know if it tops all of Malik Cunningham's because I'd have to go back and find a real bad Malik Cunningham one. I'm sure it's I'm sure there's one out there. <laughs> but uh that one was bad. There's no excuse for it. That's something that you don't expect your what six sixth year quarterback to make a mistake like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are times where like a guy kind of sits in your blind spot and you just straight up don't see him, but like the linebacker was right there I and one of those where he looked at me he's like oh I bet I can throw it over him or like I don't know if he didn't see him or thought he could throw it over him or but like yeah like you said Vince that was one of the worst decisions I'm seeing out of a Louisville quarterback in a while not even just from Jack like it was definitely his worst but like off the top of my head I, I'm struggling to think of like a worse individual throwing decision than that one Exactly. I, what I did enjoy, though, and I was harping on uh, Jeff's play calling, but like his play calling with Jack in a lot of time in a lot of instances is just great because he'll he needs Jack to get back in a rhythm to get back, you know, 
into playing Jack Plummer style football, with his, which is just running the offense and playing consistent football. And he uses these hitches on the outside and these, you know, out routes and just, you know, something that Jack can go, you know, three steps, four step hitch and just deliver the ball. Something where it takes very little thinking, you know, it's a timing route and he can look at it pre-snap and say, okay, I know uh, the corner is about five yards off Jamari right here. Jamari can win this man to man. All I have to do is take my steps and deliver the ball and we're good. Uh, you saw it with the with the play to Amari, like the touchdown with that was perfect Jack Plummer football. Just all we needed from you, man, was to make the play you're supposed to make. Step up and deliver the ball to the open receiver. And, that's and, exactly. and to to his credit, I mean, he he did look a lot better in that fourth. Exactly. Like yes. Seven for a hundred plus. He looked a lot more comfortable. He was making a lot more sound decisions, the right reads. And on that play to Amari, he could see that. I, I guess it was like some sort of cover three where the middle safety was just playing way too close to the line of scrimmage. And he read that immediately. The safety pulled over to the, uh, to the outside, the outside receiver to, I think it was the boundary side. And it just, he ran, Amari ran right behind the guy. He got depth and ran straight behind him. Yeah. I think, and thank God that that coverage was as busted. It was because I mean, he hit him as, relatively decently in stride it was like a tick mm-hmm. behind but i mean there was so much yardage between a little bit behind. <laughs> yeah exactly he had yeah there was enough time for him to stop and wave goodbye before we caught that f- football but i will say like i understand the frustration by louisville fans with jack Plummer because you expect your quarterback to be better i'm I, i'm frustrated when he throws a pick like that coming off of such a massive play for louisville um, and the momentum really being all in their hands, right, to come back and then throw that interception and have Virginia walk into the end zone on a play that had he completes that pa- that pass or just throws it away, the drive continues on and, and Louisville can maybe, the, you know, kind of swing things differently. But at the end of the day, what makes a quarterback a winner is how they bounce back and deal with the negativity. And ultimately, Jack Plummer bounces back and throws his best pass of the game, and Louisville wins in part because he's able to connect with Amari Huggins-Bruce on a 52-yard touchdown, right? They bounce back, and and then it, it, that's a part of it. And so you can't bench Jack. That's not the answer. Like, we're much closer to just getting Jack to play better than we are to exactly. another quarterback stepping in and equaling production. Exactly, and that's, like, what you have to, you know, commend Jeff for because you don't know how many coaches or, you know, shoot fans. for. I know the fans were booing at one point. At, yeah, at booing, and point. it's like, yeah, he's playing bad. That was a bad interception, but in no instant, in no instance, should we be booing our quarterback who has one loss on his record? Right, right? he's nine and one. Like, and that's like, why I, I had a, an argument or a conversation with a good friend of mine this week of like, well, why isn't the quarterback position better? Well, there's nobody else behind him. Well, why is that the case? What What's the problem? Because he's, he's good enough. He's good enough. Right. He's winning you football games. He's not he's not gonna go he's he's not Joe Burrow. He's not Justin Herbert. He's not gonna go out there and throw for four hundred and fifty yards a game, but he's exactly what we need him to be when we need him to be it. We just need him to eliminate those stupid mistakes that he had. And those are those are fixable mistakes. Yeah. Has Louisville had better quarterbacks in their history? Sure. But they've certainly had some worse ones than Jack Plummer. And, he, and given the team's talent, I mean, you'll take a guy who's kind of dead in the middle, especially in Brom's first season at the wheel while he develops the guys behind them. Right. You can't have a Lamar Jackson every year. You need a Will Gardner from time to time. Right. And like that's I made that exact quote for quote argument with somebody again this weekend about Jack, like Jack Plummer. Of course, he's not Teddy. Of course, he's not Malik. 
Like it, he's not Jalen Milrow. He's not Jackson Dart. He's not Caleb Williams. We get it, right? I know we all thought that he could have a major massive breakout season but at the end of the day the reality is that he wins you football games and that matters much more than than anything else that you can argue about right yeah. you can have Caleb Williams and be we don't six and three but instead you're sitting here at nine and one with the potential to compete in the ACC championship and if Jack is just a hair better this team's undefeated like like what are we arguing about here all right continue on Vince let's keep it moving what we got with the defensive well, side of things uh, yeah we'll move off the offense and defensively Ashton Gelati is having a phenomenal year he is hands down one of the best players that we have had you know and I mean not in a while we've had some pretty damn good defensive players of recent years but he is right there up with up there with the best of the best of them can I tell you something real quick? What he's doing this season is far more impressive than what Yaya and Yasir did last year because they had each other, right? It was they the two of them kind of canceled each other out. Like, I mean, when you have two stud pass rushers that do what they did, it's much easier than if Ashton every week is getting double team. He's getting chipped. He has really bounced back from that game against Pittsburgh where he had no sacks and has has really performed well. He didn't have a sack last week, but one and a half sacks and, and was everywhere and honestly could have had probably closer to three sacks if you really look at the game. I think that's also a credit to the rest of the guys that are around Ashton because Ashton's not getting this pressure and doing all these things without everybody else doing their job. Like guys like Jermaine Lole, Ramon Perrier, Jared Dawson, Destel, all these guys you see that are holding it down in the inside, you know, they are holding up blocks. They are shooting gaps. They are picking so Ashton can get around and make these incredible plays. Uh, the interior part of the defensive line is needs to be spoken about just as much as, you know, guys like Ashton and Stephen Heron, who's having a quiet year, quiet but good year. Uh, Lale has really come on the last couple games. Man, that play where he ran completely lateral down this – I mean, he he made a TFL for probably like a yard or two, but it was it was phenomenal to see a D-lineman run with that lateral quickness and make a play on the ball like that. And, and we're going to get – we're going to probably talk much more about this or maybe not and maybe now's not a good time or maybe it is but i gotta tell you fellas one of the biggest surprises of this defense is antonio watts he is just a ball of fun man he's yeah. just he's fun he is just what, fun what man. did i say in spring and fall y'all i was preaching antonio watts he's played really he well it. once, he got his, once he got his opportunity he was gonna shine and by god he's had opportunities the last couple weeks and he's looked really good that's my good. that's my favorite thing about this team matt is it's a a bunch of dudes that were waiting on their opportunity that are finally getting their opportunity and you know they're taking full advantage of it uh offensively and defensively and, and you saw some of them take advantage of it last year with scott satterfield finally getting their playing time but this year you know with the solid coach you're really seeing these guys take their game to like a, a whole nother level especially and, on that on this defensive side of the ball and we we've talked about this and and i'm not i obviously understand where the downfalls were with the last staff, but you cannot praise this team without at least acknowledging the recruiting and talent development to some extent of the previous staff. Like I get this staff is getting the most out of guys like Antonio Watts, right? 
But we cannot sit here and act like Satterfield and them recruited nobody and left like the cover bear. They have tons of these guys, like these Antonio Watts of the world, like these Jared Dawson's, these guys who are coming alive now in this new defense that were left, you know, who were leave behind players who were not playing or who were developing into roles. Like it's just TJ Quinn is a great example of this this year. It's I, I love it, man. It's just great to see these guys that were, you know, in the middle to bottom of the class really coming alive and becoming star players. We can, I guess, finish up with your boy Calandria Jacob and how he was basically playing backyard football in my eyes out there. It felt like he didn't know a lot of the offense. Reminded me a lot of Lamar in year one where he was just kind of running around out there. He's like, oh, shoot, there's a guy open right there. Or like on the plays he's really confident in and throwing the ball, you could kind of tell and stuff. But the kid is fun to watch. I would not be surprised if I saw him in a different uniform next year, like you said, Jacob. It For me – Felt like our D-line and everybody just kept running past him. A typical, you know, problem that you kind of have whenever going against a running quarterback like that when you're not used to facing one all the time. Uh, but, shoot, if you would have – I mean, his numbers, if you if you would have had me guess at the end of the game that he put up those numbers, that the receiver put up those numbers, I would not have said that. For me, again, this was a defensive one football game in uh, – I mean, it's nice to be on the side of, yeah, we, yeah, we did end up having to score those two touchdowns late to win it, but it's it feels like we're not having to just score more points than everybody. I'm fairly confident in our defense getting a stop almost every time they're out there on the field at this point. I was a little bit surprised at one point that they didn't um, get someone to just be a spy on him because it seems like Virginia's best work offensively came when they were running tempo and then when Calandria was getting chunks with his legs. Like, yeah, yeah. For some reason that, that tempo, like, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'll profess now. I'm, I didn't watch a ton of Virginia football this year. Shocker. So I didn't know if this was like <laughs> something that they did. Shoot. It, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't seem like the tempo was something that they were really prepared for, especially since it was a tempo that more often than not kept going from just like running the ball. Yeah, and tempo is tough to deal with, especially whenever, you know, you're not prepared for it, you're not expecting it. Uh, I mean, shoot, some coaches have to pull out a whole different set of, you know, play calling just for tempo stuff and everything and substitutions and what makes you feel comfortable, what doesn't make you feel comfortable. So I could definitely see that, you know, giving us issues. Hopefully it doesn't give us issues in any further games. But regardless, that kid is a dog. Yeah, and uh, we also have to put a little respect on Devin Neal. I mean, you got his fourth both interception safeties. of the season. Both yeah, safeties. I mean, him Cam- and- Cameron Kelly and Devin Neal are both two of the most consistent safeties we've had. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it reminds you a little bit of what it was like to have like Gerard Holloman and James Sample, right? You've got you got a little lightning and a little thunder. You got a you got a playmaker back there, and you got a thumper. Like, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> seeing them run into each other for that pick was. That was like it's like a train wreck. Yeah. Like, oh man. my god. Yeah. Uh, in that mess, I have no clue. Yeah, that's the part about football, man, where I'm just like the near misses sometimes are just like holy crap. Like, you know, and then you have a situation with with Paris Jones, who I mean, in real time, really hard to tell. That was such a like just such a odd situation. Like it was really hard to tell in the stadium what was happening. You knew immediately there was something wrong because of the players signaling for the training staff to come out. But then there was never, like, you wondered, okay, was it a cardiac arrest type thing? There was never any paramedics that came out. So you kind of ruled that out. And then the angle we were sitting at, it looked like his head 
went down on the collision. When yeah. His head and our guy's head went down. So from where Max and I were sitting in like that 220-ish section, it yeah, looked... You got a straight-on shot at that Yeah, point. to us, yeah. it looked like it was like bang, bang, head, helmet to helmet, like, oh, like this is his neck. And then I was shown a replay like in the fourth quarter where my buddy was watching it on the TV and his dad broke it down and it looked like his leg to me. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh. But I mean, it's awesome. All the news and updates are seem positive. Yes, it does. It's great news to see him coming back. Once we were able to get our hands on a replay, we saw a replay really early on and Presley tweeted from the state of Louisville account that it didn't look like a head or neck. And it was really hard to tell because with the internet speed, you couldn't slow it down the way you needed to later. My phone was able to connect and we watched it. And I told Presley immediately, I, I think he broke his neck, like just the way he the gets way hit. It, Cause it took me until the next day to see a properly replay too. And then the way that his neck twitched backwards in such a short amount of time, it seemed like he like broke or like fractured vertebrae vertebrae in his neck. Like yeah, that I mean, it was like, scary, man. Once you slow was, it down, I was thinking that, or I was thinking the you know like knockout punch, knockout kick, like the immediate like boom, like yeah. he's just out cold. But, but it was so weird because it just kept going and going and going. And there was never an ambulance. There was never anything else to make you think like this is. Well, the ambulance is parked. The people around us were saying this too. The ambulance is parked in the corner. They bring the stretcher out. They board them up and they put them in the ambulance that way. That makes sense. So that way we don't get a situation it, exactly. where we see DeMar Hamlin's number retired on the back of the ambulance doors. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a great idea. I love that. Uh, but shout out to. Man, that was an incredible play off of it, though. Like, in the midst of all that chaos stuff, to have the mental awareness to pick the ball up. I'm sure you don't see that happening at the time, but to still have the awareness to pick the ball up and scoop and score like that. Yeah, big play. Um, And ultimately, you know, Louisville, thankfully, is able to kind of um, negate the interception, negate that play, some of the big plays from Virginia. With that bend but don't break defense, the interception that they force, uh, the fumble, you know, all of that stuff where where the 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 kind of cumulative effect eventually just wore Virginia down. They're able to walk away with that win. Um, and and I every think, team has had a clunker. I'm not here for the you gotta blow them out. I mean, I get it. Like I would love to have won sixty when they're clunkers. Sometimes you gotta you gotta win a game. I've never wanted to leave the stadium quicker. I'm like, all right, cool, game's over. Bye guys. All right, yeah. all right. We're done with it, this, washing our hands on to Miami. I I am not going to tell you where I park, but I will tell you that as soon as the clock hit zero, uh, my myself and my buddy who I was with full sprint back to the car, made it back before anybody. I gave my all for the villain getting out of there and getting home. No traffic, none, not a single bit. Hit it all. I got all out of the stadium before anybody else was even able to even realize, like, damn, who is that guy? Like, oh, is that Josh Lipson running to his car? Like, no, it's just Jacob. But I was able to get out of there. No traffic. That's uh, that's the way I like all of my football games. All right. Jacob sack update. We'll keep this simple guys. This is, we got some entries, uh, but at this point it it's just one man race. Like we tried to make it competitive, but when you got a guy who by all means should be on every first round, draft right now i have a real problem to pick with these mock draft people i love mock drafts i'm not the one that's like no i love them i read them all year long where the hell is ashton gelati at man what are we doing here dude has 10 sacks that's like 
second in the country in sacks, and you can't find him on a mock draft. Absolutely ridiculous. I need to talk to somebody about this. Ashton Gelati walks away this weekend, more sacks. He leads this thing. He's got 10. Shout out to Antonio Watts. I always love a good linebacker and cornerback, safety, whatever you want to call him, getting into the mix. He gets one. I believe that's his first of the season. He might have had a .5, so we might be looking at one and a half on the season. So I apologize if I'm calling him a new entry if he already had a .5. And then Jared Dawson, one and a half. Makes the thing competitive for third place now, but it, it, it is it is what it is. Ashton, man, we're going to steak dinner, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you some uh, chicken nuggets, Mason. <laughs> <laughs> but no, shout out to these guys, man. I mean, um, I know that the numbers aren't what they have been, or at least what they were last year. Where they have twenty, I think twenty-seven sacks at this point, and um, you know, Ashton is going to probably finish somewhere between twelve to thirteen sacks. We would hope, and that's. Pretty damn good season, man. Pretty damn good season. I wonder if he's going to come back another year, Jacob, hearing all this. I mean, a lot of times they like to see guys put together more than one good year. And, you know, they, who yeah. knows? They could. It's like a John Grenard situation. John Grenard had the opportunity to leave uh, early and decided to go to Florida, so. Yeah, well, let's not wish that upon ourselves. Don't go to no, Florida, I'm Ashton. Not, I'm not saying that. I'm, yeah, I know, I'm just saying. But, Ashton, please don't go to Florida. Please. <laughs> They have a Sunbelt coach. I heard you don't you like shave those. your hair. Yeah. Now, oh, I don't go to a school where they make you like Alabama. Don't you can't you have like no facial hair in Alabama? Yeah, they make you cut your hair. Yeah. Yeah. No. Don't do that. Um, it's not well, true. But... Okay. Great. Love the love the reckless small J journalism here on the show. That's what we're here for. Um, besides the sack update, when you look at Louisville real quick before we get into a break, you look at Louisville from a national perspective. They're up to number nine in the polls this week. The college football rankings, they're 11th from last week, but should likely move into nine. We're going to find out what they think of Louisville this week because if Louisville finds themselves at 10 and somebody jumps them or say Ole Miss, uh, you know, whatever the case is, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, because they have the ability to move up. But we've talked about this since the start of the season. The ACC is not seen as a strong conference. So, one loss Louisville team that hasn't played Florida State, hasn't played North Carolina, hasn't played Clemson. What does that look like to the national perspective? We'll see. But we're going to be talking about a team in the top 10 college football rankings for the first time since 2016, and that's not nothing. Yeah, no, I, I can't see them like putting Louisville like any, any further than ninth. I mean, the only reason I might see that is if they are sold on – Missouri's resume or Oregon State and what they've been done of late but I mean like honestly with how the committee is kind of selected teams they've kind of done it by like you got your undefeateds then you got your one losses then you got your two losses like there's been a couple teams kind of thrown in the mix to kind of throw that up obviously but I mean for the most part they've been kind of grouping them like that and I mean a lot of Louisville fans probably aren't going to be happy to hear this but I mean Louisville's the weakest of the one loss teams it is what it is, but I mean, they're, they're still a top 10 team. Yeah. I mean, Vince, I don't know how I feel about the national rankings. I've told you all how I feel about the PAC 12. So anybody ranked ahead of us in the PAC 12, you don't actually exist. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if we're the weakest in the one loss teams, Matt. It's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to group us together with Alabama with what they just did this past weekend to Kentucky. I mean, yeah. watching that game and watching that team, Watching their quarterback and watching our our offense run, I'm like, that's a that's a very high powered offense. I just I don't know, I don't know. I'm in the win 
just beat Miami. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the just win one week at a time. And it's I, it, I'll, I'll start thinking about like national rankings and where we're at if we make the ACC championship. It's it's so funny you say that, right? Because like part of the show prep planning process is like, do we talk about the college football playoff? Do we talk about you know the the uh, Benaric Award or whatever? Do we talk about the NFL draft with that? Yeah. Like it's I'm like like I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there's a bigger picture here, but I'm like fuck man, we just got to be Miami. It's really Miami, there, man. like ACC championship and college football playoff distantly. Like all that stuff is very much on the table, and you know it's it's just one week at a time. We can think about it and look at it, but it's one week at a time. Yeah, I mean you can like discuss it for sure, but like until until it gets to be like an actual serious thing that could happen, like I don't like, keep it. In- the ACC championship is one hundred percent ACC championship, absolutely. But the college football playoff, eh. Yeah, I know. That's where I'm at with that. I feel like bottom that best case scenario, we get six. Yeah. I think I we mean, will I'm, finish I'm, with a six ranking. And I'd be I'm all right just, with that. I'm just gonna say it now in case it happens. If Louisville runs the table between now and the end of the regular season and they beat Florida State in the ACC championship, Louisville's still not getting in the college football playoff. Unless some serious chaos happens between now and then. Which will, I mean, by nature, right? Several of these teams are going to have to play each other, including Michigan and Ohio State will play each other here in two weeks, right? I mean, Michigan shouldn't even be allowed to play. That's how I feel about them. Get out of here. Stop it. I mean, Washington, I think they're going to play Oregon again in the Pac-12. I can't remember if they're in the same division or not. I mean, Texas, they're probably going to play Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship. It's not going to be easy. What about Alabama? They got to play somebody. They got to play Auburn. They got to play play Georgia. They just secured the West after beating UK this weekend, I think. Yeah, they got to play Auburn at the end of the year and then Georgia in the ACC championships. So there's – I mean, if Georgia wins, there's Alabama essentially eliminated, right? Then – Ohio State, say Ohio State beats Michigan, and then they go on and they lose the Big Ten championship, which is very unlikely because it's going to be like Iowa and Ohio State. Like, ugh, like disgusting. Could we but, play Alabama in a bowl? Potentially. I mean, right, there's oh, a couple of these God. games that are at I large, saw, right? I was right. looking at bowl projections earlier today, actually, and I did see one that had a little play Alabama. It's going to be interesting, like, because Alabama will be a team where most of their team will play in the bowl game, but, like, right now Louisville's most kind of – projected bowl is Ohio State. Marvin Harrison Jr. is not playing in that game. Several of their offensive oh. linemen are not playing in that game. Like Ohio State will not be Ohio State by the Orange Bowl. So part of me does want like an Ole Miss. Oh, I'd like much rather Ole Miss, Ohio State, any of those other schools in Alabama. Nick's able to make them boys play. He'll, right. He'll, he'll, but he'll I'm just saying in the worst word and I don't want to go I don't want Louisville to go to an Orange Bowl and be in Ohio State and have to listen to well Marvin Harrison didn't play and this court this cornerback didn't play and this wide receiver you know what I get it but it's like I would like to play a team who has more of a all like a rounded roster of non like top five players who will play in that game and Alabama would have a couple fuck I mean we don't I mean I assume he would but like what if Ashton just decides he's not going to play like I mean I'm again I, that's not going to happen but like that, that could in so theory I, it would be very sad but there's going to be a lot of programs whose best players don't play and I just don't want to play them in a bowl game I'd rather well, listen, play somebody this, else this this was a guy who like for the last couple of weeks he doesn't see Florida State as someone who cracks the college football playoff so obviously they would get the orange bowl this guy over at college football network thinks in his latest projection, he had them playing the Fiesta Bowl, I think, against Utah last week. This oh, that's week, a dub. 
this week he has them playing Missouri in the Peach Bowl. That's I'm, even I'm more of a dub. That that one, Scott Satterfield? Yeah, play a Scott Satterfield disciple. I'd say no. <laughs> Brady Cook, Luther Burden. Oh man, that, that team's good. Yeah, that's I look, fun. I'm just I'm just saying I want to play a team that's hungry to win a ball game, not Ohio State, who's gonna go and half their team's not gonna play because it's not the national championship. Like it's just right. at, at the end of the day, Vince, you're right. Who cares, right? Just line up and play football. But I'm just I'll be telling drinking you my orange juice preference. Sunday after waking up and beating Whoever in the Orange Bowl just as happy as I know you, you know, would. It, I yeah. know you would. Just as long as it's not in Frankfurt, Germany, you'll be good to go. <laughs> All right. On the other side, we will come back and we will talk about Miami. One week season. You got to beat the opponent in front of you. Miami is no um no easy foe. And there is one player in particular that Louisville needs to watch for this week. And it's a name that might sound familiar. We'll talk about that a little bit on the other side. Uh again, Miami. Big game coming up this off this weekend. Presley down there, and really, I don't know if he'll come back, guys. He might just become Florida P all the time. We'll see. Uh, but this weekend, if you want to get in on the action, uh, now that sports betting is officially live in Kentucky, you can do so. Betting sites are offering new betters tons of awesome bonuses to get started. We've made it super easy for you by putting all of those promos in one place, one website, one click of the button across a number of different apps, get you going. Check out all of our best sportsbook promos at bit.ly slash state of Louisville so you can maximize your first bets. You know you're talking about those bet this, get this much back. Like that's what we're talking about here. Also, each time you sign up for one of the promotions, you're directly supporting our podcast. So if you're looking to sign up for any new sports books here in the state of Kentucky, head over to bit.ly slash state of Louisville for our top offers. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash state of Louisville. Offers are only available to new customers who are 18 plus, 21 plus select sports books. It must be physically present in Kentucky. Please gamble responsibly. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll be right back on the other side. As always, I am currently sipping on some Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon. Mr. and Mrs., as you might know, is the official brand of Louisville legend Russ Smith. But what you might not know is that Mr. and Mrs. is becoming a national and global brand, shaking things up in the bourbon industry. Like basketball, bourbon has long been a passion for Russ, dating back to his college days. He studied and learned under some of the more renowned master distillers in the area. Mr. and Mrs. is more than a passion project. It's the culmination of a decade of painstaking work. Mr. and Mrs. is for everyone, from a more traditional 90 proof to a cash strength that's smooth. Be among the first to try Mr. and Mrs., the official bourbon of the state of Louisville, and from the Pink Seeds podcast. On shelves anywhere you find your liquors or online at mrandmrsbourbon.com. All right, we're back on the other side from the Pink Seeds podcast. Subscribe anywhere that you get your podcasts from on YouTube at the State of Lou. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Pink Seeds Pod at UofL Report is where you can find the work of Matt McGavick. All sports covered there as we get into that time of year. Keeping Matt busy. Surprised he's even here, man. I thought he'd be sleeping. Basketball one night, football the next, women's basketball. He's doing it oh, all, man. Sleep after this podcast. <laughs> I bet, man. I bet, man. Well, let's talk about Miami. It is a big weekend for Louisville. The final road game of the season, arguably the, one of the most important games of the season for Louisville um, against a team in Miami that is not the U that, that they thought they'd be, right? This is the same kind of Miami team in terms of middle of the pack, winning record, but not really doing enough to be considered one of the best in the in the league. 
Um, and this offseason, Miami was really one of the, the big talks of college football thanks to their work in the transfer portal. Um, it really looked like they were setting themselves up under Mario Cristobal to kind of bounce back. But ultimately, you have the game where you lose in heartbreaking fashion. Was that the Georgia Tech where you don't kneel the ball uh, and you give them the opportunity to win? They lose yep. um, other games um, along the way to um, to NC State uh, as well as Florida State. Some of these games closer than you would expect, really just based off of some of the conversation around Miami. But when you look at their wins, like it's just really hard to kind of respect them as being this big power, right? This, this untouchable team, they they've beaten um, six teams, but it's Virginia, it's Temple, it's Bethune Cookman, it's Texas A&M who just fired Jimbo Fisher. It's Miami of Ohio. And then it's, it's Clemson, right? In two overtimes and Clemson is not Clemson of old. So really still kind of hard to, to make out what Miami is on paper, statistically about the same as Louisville, but record wise, they do the little things to lose where Louisville does the little things to win. So it really opens up an interesting game. So storylines for this one. I mean, look, when you're talking about Louisville, you're talking about what they just put down on paper uh, against Virginia. Can they bounce back? Can you avoid having a hangover from a close win, uh, being emotionally drained from that, from having to come back? Can you bounce back on the road um, in Miami and Vince? I mean, you know that this from from history. That, I mean, Louisville against Miami since moving back to the ACC has been a little bit of a struggle, especially recently. I mean, Miami is even in years when they haven't been better than Louisville has kind of handled Louisville. Yeah, just whenever we went to play there in uh, what was it, twenty twenty nineteen 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 yeah yeah whenever we went to play there it was it felt like everybody. I mean, that's not knocking our squad or anything, but it felt like everybody was looking more around at an NFL stadium. It's hard rock, you know, it's, it's extremely, in my opinion, it's really nice. Uh, like the inside, at least like locker room area and everything. And I don't know, it's just a nice, you're in an NFL stadium. It's a different vibe than a college stadium. It's not going to be completely sold out. Cause I mean, quite frankly, there's a million different things to do that I would rather do in Miami than go watch Miami hurricane football. So it's not going to be sold. Their fans, the fans that are there, they will give you shit and they will talk their shit, especially if you are losing and getting your ass kicked like we were in 19. Just hope there's not a uh, Marlin mishap yes. on the sidelines oh, like yes. there was yes. with me and him in 19. I can't be yeah. having any of those. None of that. None of that. But Louisville has never won on the road uh, against Miami. They will look to do so for the first time in school history, as as we talked about. They've played them twice um, since joining – sorry, three times since joining the ACC. 2014 in the blackout game, they beat them 31-13, but have lost the last two. 52-27 to 27 in 2019, 47-34 to 34 in 2020. Um, so, as I mentioned, big scoring outputs, but uh, never really be able to kind of hang within – distance and we talked about this some with Pittsburgh the the playing field in Miami is one that's kind of worth noting it's uh, I believe it's a grass field and so we'll see you know some of the same elements that we saw against Pittsburgh hopefully I haven't checked the forecast but no rain in the forecast um it shouldn't it only rains on one side of the stadium oh yeah that's right that's right I forgot about that the sun only hits on one side of the stadium too (laughs) yeah it's so it's so terrible I love being a Dolphins fan yeah, and so again, you talk about storylines. Miami comes in with a little bit of a of a quarterback issue. They moved quarterbacks this past weekend, going from Tyler Van Dyke to Emory Williams. Emory Williams 
was playing well for for Miami against Florida State, um, minus all the goofy stuff that happened with the ACC officials. I mean, had them in good spot through a couple of of nice passes, but ultimately goes out with. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor, right? Me, my friends from WebMD and Presley's sister is who we consult medical <laughs> advice around here and looked to me like he broke his arm right about at the elbow and looked very floppy when he rolled over. So don't think so playing this weekend. Well, look, let me let me put this out there. You guys remember Malik Williams, right? I Running do. back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Dislocated his elbow against North Carolina. Everybody Bro- thought it was broken. Yeah. Came out he with comes, that. He comes back with elbow week. pad. Yeah, but he wasn't throwing the football though. It's a little bit what different when you got to sling it. I think was it was his throwing arm. It was his throwing arm. Oh yeah, ah, yeah. yeah, you definitely well, can't. Throw yeah, your I mean, is he ambidextrous? I guess That'd we don't know, but yeah, that that's would my be. goal right there is to have an ambidextrous son as a quarterback. <laughs> he can throw, roll out left-handed, throw left, roll out right, throwing right, and then... or I mean, that opens up the door to being able to roll out one direction and then say, "No, nah, I'm going back the other way." Exactly. He'll be able to switch hands Flip and it. throw the football. Yes, man. Oh, that you're talking about. <laughs> Oh man, that's beautiful. But no, that that does open up some things for for um, Miami in terms of what Tyler Van Dyke can do. He's played well at times this season, but when they have had um, bigger games, he's kind of fallen short of the mark. And uh, there's a reason why they benched him. Right? He was the kind of star quarterback. Everybody couldn't couldn't get enough of Tyler Van Dyke, and then he comes out this season and and really has struggled to find consistency. And so. That's a reason why Miami turns the football over as much as they do. Uh, and that is definitely something that Miami will be worried about this weekend. Uh, but he'll have no shortage of weapons. Miami has a plethora of weapons. When you talk about Louisville, right, it's pretty top-heavy with Jaws running the football, Jamari Thrash. Uh, when you look at Miami, they have four running backs who have at least 50 carries on the season, three of them with more than 75 or more than 70 carries. So they really have – um, run the ball a lot and have split the carries yardage, not super impressive. They're not one of the, you know, they are a really strong team in terms of running the football, but don't have a star back per se, but they do have Henry Paris, Jr. Donald Chaney, Jr. Mark Fletcher, Jr. And AJ Allen, who are all absolute ballers who can break big plays on you at any given point. And then at wide receiver, to be quite honest with you, never heard of any of these dudes. I'll be fully honest with you, but the numbers are what they are. Um, I hope we don't hear about them on Saturday. That's right. I hope we don't learn about them on Saturday. Colby George is a good receiver, but, I mean, like, most of their receiving core is, like, average to above average players but and like jacoby george that is that one guy who's probably like someone to actually watch out for but like it's not to say the other guys can't make plays because they absolutely can but like it's 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 not like they're like huge like circle in the matchup and like yeah you gotta look out for this guy yeah but if it tells you anything about the weapons right i mean we say that and then we look at a guy like um like Tyler Harrell, Tyler Harrell, our good friend, just Tyler throwing that Harrell. out there. I know, buddy, throwing that out there for you, man, just for you. Uh, but when you look at his numbers, dude, four receptions for 45 yards, and he could potentially be the best receiver on a lot of teams. So we know that they have talent. We know that they have weapons. He could um, potentially be the best receiver on our team. Like, let's be real here, bro. That's what I'm like, saying. Man. Like, he was in our offense. I mean, man, I don't know. <laughs> Is that going to be the biggest what if of the Scott Satterfield tenure? What would have? What if Tyler Harrell would have stayed? It's if weird, Bryce man. Young doesn't call Tyler. <laughs> yes, come right. come on down, right? For me to throw you the ball one time all year long, man. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, but th- they have weapons. 
um, across the board offensively. And then defensively, when you look at Miami, man, I mean, they they're stacked. They are right And Miami historically has had dudes. But when you look at their defense, top 20 in total defense, they are a top 10 rushing defense and they have defensive linemen and linebackers and safeties who can do it all led by a name that we would all recognize if you pay attention to recruiting because he was one of the long you do you just feel like you have to do that like before i can even get can you let me get there like what is this it's like my five-year my six-year-old daughter will do that right there she knows what i'm about to say damn it let me say it no but reuben bain right that's exactly right reuben bain we were talking a lot on social media this week about Ruben Owens and um, um, DeAndre Moore potentially being guys who could hit the portal and come back. Ruben Bain is not hitting the portal and coming back because he has found a home at Miami tied in sacks, six and a half in the top, uh, top 10 and tackles there along with KJ Cloyd, another name to know for a little while about that. And Vince, let's talk about this defense because you are familiar with their linebackers coach, Coach Derek Nicholson. Tell me a little bit about Coach Nicholson and what we can at least expect from a uh, linebacker standpoint, speed, being able to put me – imagine the the talent pool he has right now. Well, yes, 100% talent pool. Like, the dude's a master class recruiter. He can – I mean, he can talk out of his ass about anything. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal recruiter. Uh, man, what you can expect out of them, out of a guy like him – and KJ is for them to look at this as like a payback game. Like, oh, we want our get backs 100%. We want our licks. You know, even though it, Louisville was not really in the wrong in either one of their situations. But that's kind of what you, you can expect them balls to wall, just playing with their hair on fire. You guys remember what Dorian Jones and guys like that played of years past? I mean, it's you, you can expect them to be playing sideline to sideline. Derek Nichols, I mean, Coach D Nick is a phenomenal linebackers coach, and he's, a mid to average basketball player. Oh, I love that <laughs> little smack talk. Um, and what's, you know, we've seen Cincinnati struggle this year and Derek Nicholson obviously was one of the guys who did not follow Satterfield and company. Well, he did follow for like a month for like a, a month. Little, yeah. Yes. For a little bit. Probably honestly, he saw the writing on the wall. They got Debo and then it was too late for Debo to go to Miami for whatever reason. It was like, fuck, God, I guess I got to stay here, man. Like for sure. <laughs> uh, but this defense They've played well all year long. Um, they are productive when it comes to sacks. They've got a ton of guys who can get to the quarterback, uh, and they do it at all three levels. Their defensive line, their linebackers, and their safeties, they're well represented. All have have a decent number of sacks, um, starting with Ruben Bain, Francisco Moigoa. Mm, not confident with that one, but we're going to see on Saturday. But another guy, he's Everywhere, six and a half sacks. Malagoa, is that right? Did I say it right? Malagoa, Malagoa, that's about right. Fifty-four tackles. Uh, also has a pick on the season. So they have got guys all over the field. Corey Flag Jr., another guy at linebacker. Um, at safety, Cameron Kin- Kinchins is the leader in interceptions and also is a stud when it comes to tackling. I think he's third on the team in tackles with something like 49, 50 tackles. So you're talking about a guy who can get after the football, um, kind of like Cameron Kelly for Louisville. So going to be interesting to see kind of what Louisville does. Expect them to run and load the box. And so Vince and Matt, my question to you is, you're Jeff Brom, right? You know I'm telling you, say I'm Mario Cristobal. I'm telling you, Jeff, I'm going to put eight guys in the box this weekend, every opportunity. What are you going to do about that? 
Vince, Matt, what are we going to do about that? I'm attacking the outside with stuff that I've talked about with hitches and various different, you know, three, four step drops for Jack Palmer to spread them back out. And then I run it. Or, you know, you can hit them with the outside zone and try and get the edge on that stacked box. Uh, or you could, you know, play action pass on. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm fairly confident in us gaining, taking a shot and probably scoring on a play action pass this weekend. Ooh. You know, just, I mean, it just, I, the, everybody's going to load the box up. They have been, like Matt talked about last game. And I mean, I just, you got to see it coming. And if Jack, as long as Jack Peyton Manning did it the best, and if I'm a quarterback, and if I ever have a quarterback as a kid, I'm teaching him to watch Peyton Manning's handoffs and his fakes because he was, you know, he made every single one look exactly the same, no matter what it was. And if Jack can do that, make his play action pass look as similar to his handoffs as possible, then that's going to open up a lot more on the back end because your run, your linebackers and stuff, safeties are just going to. Keep inching forward, inching forward, inching forward. Yeah, and kind of what just Vince said. He's, I think he's got to get a little bit more creative with his play calling than he was against Virginia. Because I mean, like, like we said, Vince, if he's loading the box and he's leaving the edges, kind of, you know, just putting a hat on a hat, and all you have to do is have your guy, the running back, maybe miss one guy, or has he doesn't have anyone to to have to to run by or juke, like utilize the edges. I mean, if he's if there's an uneven front, like drop a counter or drop a run play to attack the other side that's not so loaded up. And once like the situations on the down and distance call for like mixing some play action, get, get some of that screen play going, gets, get maybe a little bit creative, get a, get a jailbreak screen in there or something like that. Like, yeah, like use the short area of the field to your advantage so that when Miami, if Miami does start to get on their heels, then you can kind of attack them then down the field. What, what I don't want to see and Jack's done it a couple games now, is him check the play at the line of scrimmage. Every quarterback that you guys have watched at Louisville has pretty much had the, outside of Malik under Satterfield for a lot of plays, has had the ability to you know change the play if they are confident in whatever play they're running. And I'm sure that's the conversation that Brian and Jack and them are having in that quarterback room, is he probably sees something, feels a little bit more confident about that, let's run that. Man, just run the play called. Run the play that is designed that Jeff has called because he's calling it for a reason. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and it's not falling back on you. We don't have to have these kind of conversations and say stuff like this, you know. So I feel like he's kind of putting himself in a lose lose situation or a win lose situation. If he if it hits, it hits. If he loses, it's all falling on him now. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see defensively um, how Louisville kind of continues on and bounces back from a game where they give up a lot of yards, particularly in the passing game. I mean, again, I mentioned Miami doesn't have a uh, recognizable kind of name brand skill position player, but Matt mentioned Jacoby George. They've got other guys who are more than capable. I mentioned Henry Parrish, Donald Chaney, are dynamic running backs in their own right, and then you've got guys like Kobe Young and Brashard Smith even Riley Williams and Cam McCormick at tight end. I mean, again, these are all really highly recruited, really skillful guys. Um, Can Louisville cover? Can they match up across the board? Can they eliminate the run, but also still continue to play the pass? I thought this weekend, part of their, their big kind of bugaboo is broken plays. Broken plays really hurt them, particularly because we've talked about they come a little bit too aggressive pass rushing, whether it be inside or outside, whatever the case is. There's a little bit of both this weekend of, of, really allowing one side of the field or one part of the field to be opened up. So I'm really curious to see, can we see some of this coverage improve? 
can we clean up some of the um, some of the mistakes and then capitalize on turnovers? Tyler Van Dyke has turned the football over almost every game he's played in. I think he's only got one or two games with no interceptions, and those ones where he has no interceptions are against a Bethune-Cookman, against um, some of these teams that are not good football teams. So can you force pressure? We know, yes, the answer to that is for sure. But can you contain, can you make sure that the – um, you know, aggressiveness of your front four, front six, front seven, whatever it is that you blitz, probably closer to front four, don't uh, doesn't burn the rest of your team. And that's going to be a big part of this weekend. Um, and then passing. Look, here's my thing. I loved the number of guys they got involved. 11 guys caught passes this past weekend, including Joey Gatewood catching a touchdown, which I know got a lot of us happy. We talked a lot about that. Matter of fact, last week, it's almost as if Jeff Brom listened to the show. Uh, but even other guys, Dwayne Martin had his first catch of the season, a 19-yard catch and run. We're seeing them get more guys involved, and that uh, kind of gets to that point where you don't find yourself like last season when you put out a Josh Lifson and an Isaac Martin, and you say, okay, that's two guys we know are not getting the football. At least Louisville is starting to spread it around. However, this is going to be a test of how good Jack Plummer can be. They're going to make him throw the football probably – like where he has to throw it at least, I'd say, five to to ten times. That might be even a conservative approach in terms of have to have this pass, have to have this play. How many of those does he convert? That's the big issue. Like we've seen interceptions uh, in the red zone. We've seen, you know, missed passes uh, or, or bad passes for Jack. When you are forced to throw the football and the defense knows what's coming, can you execute? That's it. That's the question that we need answered this weekend because they are going to load the box. It's not as if they're, they're not Virginia's front four, front seven, and they played pretty well. James Jackson had a hell of a game. Some of these other guys played really well. Miami's got studs, man. Miami's got dudes. They might not be having collectively a fantastic breakout season, but individually they've got sprinkled in talent who can absolutely take over this game and force Jack into a two or three interception game. I mean, that is an absolute possibility. So can he execute, take care of the football, and do what matters to win? We'll see. I mean, and if he does, then you feel much more confident against Kentucky, Florida State, Ohio State, Alabama, whoever it is, right? You won't catch me chanting, we want Bama. No, thank you. (laughs) Whoever it is. I did that once. I'm good. We'll got Bama once, and Bama, Bama it all over Louisville. But, but, uh, I mean, this this is a game where Jack – might have the opportunity to have some semblance of success. Cause I mean, while Miami's defense, very good, their run defense, very good. Their passing defense. Eh, it's been okay. They've been certainly gashed by a few teams. They're currently, I think 66th nationally and 11th in the ACC in passing defense at 226.5 passing yards allowed per game. So like, if they even if they do force them force Jack to throw the ball, as long as he doesn't make dumb decisions, I think he'll be fine. Especially considering that you know Miami's turnover margin is not that great. Now, Miami certainly creates a lot of extra possessions for themselves defensively by taking them, but offensively they do the exact opposite and give opposing teams a lot of possessions because Tyler Van Dyke's been tossing out interceptions like they're candy. So while there is an avenue for Jack Plummer to have a, a solid showing, he still has to make solid fundamental decisions or it's going to bite him. And honestly, we've talked about like kind of offense. 
I think is something crucial to watch out for. If it is Tyler Van Dyke that's going to start, because I read earlier today that Chris Abal is entertaining the notion that he might play Ja'Curry Brown, which I don't know how serious he is on that, but, you know, that's out there. Um, if Tyler Van Dyke does go, the defense has to dial the pressure up because Tyler Van Dyke has already shown that he's susceptible to facing pressure and making bad decisions when facing pressure. And he's the exact type, opposite type of quarterback that Anthony Calandri is, that Thomas Castellanos is. He's not a runner. You want to guess how many rushing yards he has since ACC play started? Take a while, yes. 35. Add a, oh. add a negative to that. He's got negative 33 rushing Oh, I win. I win. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's got negative. No, I'm sure these are. He's, yeah, sacks. he's got 12. He's been sacked nine times this season, too. Yeah, so keep that for nope, He has took off and ran for negative 35 times. It's <laughs> <laughs> about my statistics if I was a quarterback he's, trying to run away. Not one, and, and then add in the fact that he's not one to look to look for a safety valve. I mean, look at the look at um Miami's top four running backs in the roster, Parrish, Chaney, Fletcher, and Allen. There's less than a hundred receiving yards combined on that on in that group. He's not one to kind of throw to his running back as a check down. So if you do dial up the pressure, it's not going to be like a last ditch safety uh, safety valve he's going to look forward to. He's going to try and make the bigger play down the field, and that more often than not is probably going to result in an incompletion or maybe a turnover forced by the defense. So it'll be imperative that not only the players, but also the coaches to kind of dial up some pressures, dial up some schemes that will allow Louisville to penetrate Miami's offensive line with regularity, because that will probably be the biggest factor in this game. All right, look at you rolling already into stats and statistics and fun stuff. So let's just do it. Let's just jump right in right now. Matt stats previewing Miami with the best stats that Matt could find. Matt, let's do it, man. What we got? Drop what you're doing and listen up. It's Matt Stats with Matt McGavick. All right, now when you look at Miami, thank you, Vince. Uh, when you look at Miami's, uh, you know, schedule, you know, six and four, their two wins in ACC play are against uh, eh, Clemson and then a Virginia that's, you know, eh. But this is still a very very talented football team that's just they've been victims of coaching malpractice at times because crystal ball is an idiot sometimes but i digress um so their overall pro football focus grade is 92.6 that's currently 12th best in all of the fbs in fact that grade is better than 16 teams in in the current ap top 25 their offensive grade is 86.1 which is Sounds okay, but it's actually 14th in the nation. Their defensive grade is 91.1, which is 17th in the nation. So in terms of like how the talent and is kind of spread around the team, it's pretty even. And there's a fun fact there before we move on to the next one. The team with the seventh with the 16th best defensive rating is Louisville, 91.2, just better by just a little bit. But anyways, going on to the defense, we talked a lot about how good their run defense is. And then, of course, the advanced stats, they kind of back that up too. Their run defense grade of 91.1 is the ninth best in the FCS, FBS, excuse me, and the sixth best in all the Power Five. Of their 13 defenders with triple-digit run defense snaps, 11 of them are at least a 65. And going by pro football focus, 60 is average. And then 
six are at 70 and above, which is above average. And then three are at 80, which is phenomenal. And one of those guys is linebacker Corey Flagg, like we talked about. In fact, his 90.4 run defense grade is 20th in all of the FBS and 13th in the power five among defenders with triple digit runs run defense snaps. So he's pretty good. That's someone who Jeez. if Jack Former's in the backfield and he knows a run's coming and he sees flag creeping the box, maybe check out of that one or <laughs> alter it a little bit. And then en- enough complimenting Miami. Let's 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 poo poo on them a little bit. And that's obviously Tyler Van Dyke. So I'm gonna read you your stat line in, in non conference play. 74 of 99 for a 74.7 completion percentage for now granted remember four, this is four games for 1042 yards 11 touchdowns and a pick so that was the four non-conference games which was Temple Bethune Cookman Texas A&M and fake Miami um in ACC play which is like four games and like a couple snaps against Florida State 98 of 159 which is 61.6% 1,044 yards, which is roughly the same amount, but five touchdowns to 11 interceptions. And like I said earlier, he's got 12 rushes scrambled and mixed in there for negative 30, 33 yards. He's not a runner, and he's not made great decisions. In fact, his 12 total interceptions is tied for the fourth most in all of football. Want to guess who's on top of that list? I don't know. Haynes King. it's not us i'm glad we're not at the top of these conversations anymore it's not jack and like it's it's been clear if you've kind of paid attention to miami that tyler van dyke has been slowly getting worse and worse like georgia tech his offensive grade was 79.4 unc 69.7 the game against virginia where they had to go to double overtime 54.2 the game at nc state 46.9 in He's not been great. He's made a handful of just truly awful decisions. And now that, you know, Mario Cristobal's kind of had to force his hand and play him because Emory Williams is hurt. I mean, that if you're Louisville's defense, you have to feel good about that because, I mean, Emory Williams in the games that he had played, played really damn good. I mean, Miami had a chance to take down Florida State in Tallahassee, which is not easy to do. And I'm curious. I'm curious as to how confident Cristobal is, like on the sidelines, knowing I benched this quarterback to go with another guy. Now I have I have to go back to this guy that I do not want to go to. Once Tyler Van Dyke starts making these mistakes, how will Cristobal start to call the game? Yank, next guy up. It's very obvious the leash is short, so you make that decision for them if you're Louisville's defense. I feel like the best thing you can do is go in and get a quarterback benched. I mean, just in terms of setting the tone. Now, what do you do afterwards? I don't know. We've seen that go south several times. So hopefully, hopefully Jeff's done his homework and pulled out the high school uh, film of whatever this quarterback uh, or wherever he played previously. I'm not going to lie. I don't know much about Miami's third string quarterback. Sue me, but we'll see. Yeah, he's okay. Well, we've played a lot of good quarterbacks over the last uh, couple months, so. Beat him. If I'll you call Frank Ponce and see, see. We'll get the rundown. Oh man, I'm sure he recruited him. He's not that, there. Anymore. No, he's not there anymore. That's no, right. Where did he go? He went back. He went back to Ab. Sat's going to join him soon. So I've got one more stat, and it's the, and the it's the one that you wanted me to pull for you. Okay, the Quincy Riley stat. Okay. So you told me to get. Hey, um, Quincy Riley's not really had balls thrown his way recently because people aren't really testing him, and even when he does get tested, he's not allowed anything. So you know, I went looking. So on the year, he's got. 
he's only allowed 14 receptions for 165 yards as the like closest defender to the play. And that's only been allowed on 42. Holy crap, man. What's the conversion rate on that for offenses? I'm not, I'm not great at math. It's 33.3. It's a, it's a dead even one, one third. So I went looking to see, you know, how does this compare like nationally? Like that's gotta be up there. And it very much was up there. Of the 264 play uh, players at the FBS level who have 300-plus coverage snaps up to this point in the season, his reception percentage of 33.3 is second. Second. The only one better with him is Minnesota uh, defensive back Tyler Newbin, who's allowed just three catches on 13 targets. Who hurts for you? Riley? Island. It's a real thing, and you don't want to go there. Well, I mean, last game they had a buck fifty. Well, look, <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah, How yeah, many yeah. of those yards came off of that fumble return for a touchdown? I mean, at least what? That, that didn't go in the books as a reception, though. That was a fumble. No, really? No. no. I've been oh, Jake. I've been living <laughs> under the world that that was his. He was given reception oh, points or reception yards for that. Yeah. Either way, whatever, man. I don't care. I mean, they. Quincy Riley's a dog. How, if that's the case, though, if 155 of those yards came last week, Quincy Riley covered him majority of the time. Means the rest of the season he's given up like 10 yards. Uh, that's <laughs> so that's funny. Ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. So, all right, that's Matt's stats. Love it. Each week we get the best stats, previewing the opponent from one Matt. Matt can you bring a personal stat too? Each week, like, oh, I'm six foot, whatever. How many siblings I do you have, weigh, Matt? Yeah. I have this many siblings. My uh, last four digits of my social security card are this. No, I've got one blood sibling and four step siblings. And there's a Matt stat. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Let's transition into predictions. A big week on the show because uh, Vince thought he was going to be ahead for a long time and it just lasted for about five days. Uh, unfortunately for him, one Matt McGavick was victorious uh, in terms of getting both right last week. We haven't had a whole lot of two twofers, but Matt pulled off the two for getting the Louisville game correct with the cards beating Virginia and then landing on the tackles for loss total. Nine tackles for loss total between those sacks and tackles for loss. So great weekend. We are proud of Matt and uh, Matt now ties Vince at the top with 11. Presley and I at 10. We got a couple more weeks to go. I was barely off with my shutout. That's right. Just barely, man. You really were just right there, dude. Uh, You know how long we were rooting for a shutout in my section? We were like, shut Yeah, you were right. It didn't look crazy for the longest time until it was. But this week, we will do scores we usually do, and then first touchdown score, which if we were betting men, we would turn this into a bet each week. Maybe we will. We'll see who wins some money. I know I will probably do that. That's what I did this past weekend. I would have predicted Chris Bell. Very much uh, was disappointed when he went far out wide on that goal line play where they threw it to Joey Gatewood because I knew he wasn't getting the ball. So what we got from Presley this week, I did not write it down. So let me get back into my text messages and we will read Press's uh, prediction because he was pretty pissed off last week that I did not text him for his prediction. So <laughs> this week I have to make sure I get it. Uh, he is going Louisville 28, Miami 25, and his first touchdown score will be Josh Lifson. So good for Presley there. Wow. That'd be, awesome. tight ends. That'd be insane. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not, I don't have much faith in that being the case, uh, but good for Presley. I always love to see some variety. 
I, I had a, t- a hard time kind of predicting score on this one because in most of Miami's games this year, they've scored outside of like NC State. I think they've scored somewhere between about 21 to 40 something points. Most of their losses have been in some kind of shut shootout. So I'm trying to really understand like where the defensive side of things comes into play here. So do I go high scoring? Do I go low scoring? I, I, I tend to kind of stick in between the middle. I, I think this game is going to be close and is going to come down to the wire. I think Louisville is going to win this in a, in late fashion, whether it be a touchdown late or a field goal late and they ultimately win and they cover two and a half. I think is the spread right now too. I can't remember what it was uh, too. Uh, so I'm going to go with Louisville 24, 21. I think they went on a game winning field goal. This wow. Weekend. You're riding on Brock Travelstead for, for the dub. And my first touchdown of the like game is got, I I saw that I just scrolled <laughs> down, but I am gonna take uh, I'm gonna also go receiving. And I'm gonna stick with Chris Bell. Like I just it's gonna happen again. Chris Bell has been uh, targeted a lot on the first drive the last couple of games, so I'll go with Chris Bell just to be different. I'm gonna go Louisville twenty four, Miami twenty. I I do think that the offense is going to struggle to be as effective as they have been in the in the past few games just simply because it's on the road it's not lost to me how much different this team has been when played away from LNN Stadium so I don't think I don't think offensively they're going to be as efficient as we would like them to be but on the other sideline while Miami's defense is balling I don't trust that offense with if it is Tyler Van Dyke under center I mean he's made too many terrible decisions over the last month now if it is jacuri brown i mean how much higher does that is that ceiling for that miami offense truly because i mean right how much does he get does he get even throw you know typically how much is your third string quarterback going to come in and throw the football probably gonna be a lot of running at that point yeah so i I think it's going to be a relatively low scoring affair um i don't think they win on a game-winning field goal but i do think they like Miami often stalls and have to settle for a couple of field goals. And then Louisville has to settle for a field goal at 1.2. So 24, 20. I'm going to go 28 to 10. Good guess. Of course. <laughs> uh, like you guys have said, Tyler Van Dyke, if he's back there, I'm fairly confident. In us. Uh, my thing, you know, with them stacking the box, likely if we can establish a run and get the run game going, like we usually do, I think things will work out in our favor. It's not looking like, you know, weather conditions like it was against Pitt or anything like that. So let's, you know, I don't throw that one out, but it is supposed to know. rain every day this week, but Saturday in Miami. So yes, yeah, so, and there was a 30% chance to rain. Yeah. So, I mean, like they're not going to just water the field down the fence play there too. So, you know, I like our I like our chances. I think I think we got a good one in store for us on Saturday. Who's gonna score though? That's what I'm really trying to stall and think right here. Uh oh, here we go. I think we're gonna drive down the field. Right. I think Jeff Brom is gonna have a phenomenally scripted first drive. And we're gonna get down to about the ten. And the ball is gonna go in the hands of Dwayne Martin, the fullback, for a touchdown. And he's gonna score the first touchdown. I like it. We got some real variety here. Some did tight ends, some receivers. You did. Point? You did. Yes. Okay. I think you wrote it down. I don't know if you said it. It's it's Jaden Thompson. He's he his involvement in the past game is it's kind of been elevated the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure how entirely healthy Jamari Thrash is right now. 
the running the running game, I don't I'm think it's probably gonna stall out the first couple drives before they start figuring it out. So I'm gonna go Jaden Thompson. All right, that will do it. I like it. We got got a four for hopefully Louisville uh will come through. We need him to come through, that's for sure. This is a game I think beginning of the season, a lot of us um circled as one that could be droppable. Obviously, Miami is not what they uh expected to be and what a lot of them thought they would be, but still. Uh, they're a dangerous team, as Matt pointed out with some of those statistics. Don't let the the record and ranking fool you. They are 100% capable. And so Louisville will have to go and really notch that next um, chink in their belt for being able to um, beat on a team on the road. I mean, that's a, that's a huge thing. So we'll see uh, what they do there as they travel down to an NFL stadium again. Florida P in the building. We need the good luck. He did it in Cardinal, Carter-Finley Stadium. Let's go. <laughs> They need a they need a five Control star down there though, man. Your destiny. That's what this game is, man. Just that's right. You win, and you're in. Win that's and you're right. In. Man. Win and you're in. It's like high school football all over again for these guys. You know, it's playoff time for them. Just go down there. You know, just beat Miami. That's all you got to do. It should mean more. This is the Howard game. Aren't we playing for boots? They're playing for the Howard Schnellenberger Trophy, which is his. The boots that have been brought. Those are pretty sick. I should have been a pipe, man. Should have been a pipe or something. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Boots, Let's shove that pipe up your ass. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap the show up from the Pink Seats Podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your shows from at Pink Seats Pod on Twitter, at the State of Lou. Uh, on YouTube at UofL Report on Twitter. Be sure to follow all of those accounts. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And hopefully we're talking next week on UK Week, Hate Week, about a dub and an ACC championship birth appearance, man. We need it. I need it. I need it. All right, folks, we'll see you next week from the Pink Seats Podcast. Let's go.